Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Clothesline Retro, the nostalgic podcast that takes you back to the yesteryears of professional wrestling, seen through the eyes of two guys from Israel. My name is Owen Trademan, and with me, as always, is my partner in crime, Gordon. Gordon, how are you? I am quite all right, if you, if you must know. I feel we should also acknowledge our, our so far, the, the only person who admitted he, he, he's one of our followers, one of our dedicated followers, I should say, Oliver, the eternal Oliver, who uh, had sort of a health scare um, not, not, lo- not too long ago, and it passed. We wish him well, and we are also aware of the fact that he is one half of the AEW German announcing team. Really? Wow. He is. He is, and uh, we might get to AEW this way and become our our own version. Perhaps they need a Hebrew talking broadcast team. How about that? I think that's a great idea. We should, we should <laughs> totally get in talk, get in contact with them, and, <laughs> and offer our services. All right. So basically, this is the first time this podcast. This is an actual podcast now because now we're available on Podbean and on Spotify. And I've uploaded our previous episodes on both platforms. And this is this is the first brand new episode in a while, I, I must say, because the last time we did this was about, I don't know, a year ago. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I wouldn't exaggerate and say a year ago, but uh, some time has passed indeed. Yeah. I, I take a look at the, um, I wish the viewers could have seen this. The listeners could have seen this. See, I'm, I'm still used to the, the, yeah. uh, the viewer's definition. I see this this microphone ahead of you. It kind of reminds me of old time radio, which I'm a, uh, I'm, a, um, I'm quite a fan of. And you know, it's like actually recording sort of a sort of a radio play. All you need now is the um, the uh, the sound effects of the someone is at the door. Yes, he is. Come in. I don't have an effect of a door opening, but anyhow, you, you get my drift. It's um yeah. It's, it's, it's experimental, and we hope it'll catch on. Please comment once you finish listening to, um, to this podcast and to the other podcasts we have uploaded so far. And we have done quite a work there, I'll tell you that. Well, first off, I'll take all that as a compliment. And second, you're good at improv. That I, door was I, spot I on. Am, I am so bad at improv, so <laughs> bad. I wish I could get better. Perhaps this will give us a chance to, both of you and me, to get better because I always aim to improve. Well, who knows? All right, let's get down to business. We start, we continue our journey, actually. And now we have arrived at SummerSlam 93, which was held at the Auburn Hills, the Palace at Auburn Hills in Detroit, Michigan. I believe that's the home of the Detroit Pistons in the NBA, if I'm not mistaken. You couldn't have asked the, the, the more <laughs> of, of a wrong person for for this information come on right. i'm the kind of a of a person that once you mention basketball i would ask you is that the one where they kick the ball or deliver it to each other <laughs> the one they yeah. throw the ball into the basket yeah that, that's that's the stuff i know all right so it's in detroit michigan in front of twenty three thousand nine hundred and fifty four fans and here's a funny fact it's mm-hmm. on a monday how come it's on a monday I can tell you they didn't ask with me, they didn't clarify with me, and therefore I have no idea. Come on, Gordon, come on. No, I'm sorry, they just didn't. I'll let you know once they do. 
kind of it's kind of weird because usually pay-per-views throughout mm-hmm. the, that era was or around Sundays, Saturdays. Mm-hmm. I've heard of a Tuesday, maybe a Wednesday, but Monday is usually like a very strong day for them because they just started uh, Monday Night Raw a couple of months back, and mm-hmm. I know it's a taped show, but still. Monday? Yeah, I've, I've got no explanation for it. It's as odd as you can get. Yeah. Well, probably you can get way odder, but, but you, 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 you kind of understand what I'm saying here. I have no idea. All right. So the main focal point of, of these podcasts is to tell mm-hmm. this through the eyes of the Israeli fans. And for us, for me at least, the first pay-per-view I ever saw on television was King of the Ring 93. I saw WrestleMania 9 afterwards. And this is the first pay-per-view for me where I get to see the road to the pay-per-view, the road to SummerSlam. So I Mm -hmm. saw the weekly programming. We had Wrestling Challenge. We didn't have Raw. We had Wrestling Challenge on Channel 5. We had uh, WWF Mania with Todd Penningale and the whole SummerSlam reports of uh, Mean Gene Okerlund. And I was ecstatic. I was excited because they build it up really, really good throughout the whole you know the whole lex express campaign and we're going to talk about that a little bit about that a little bit later and of course the main rivalry what i was looking forward to was the bret hart jerry lawler jerry lawler rivalry uh so what did you think about the the road to somerset because i'm guessing as much this was my first time this was probably your first time as well um you've actually surpassed me at uh watching ppvs in uh, israel The first one I watched was Survivor Series 1993, and even, yeah, even that was on a tape, I don't know, for several days afterwards. We didn't get SummerSlam Spectacular, did we? No, no, we didn't. Well, someone said, you don't have to deliver all the good stuff to Israel. It's enough they've got mania, and and, um, look, uh, I think we could kind of place it, is it the middle of the um, fanfare in uh, Israel is wrestling at its sort of peak, would you say, during SummerSlam? Or yeah. would it wait a while? Because everyone knows about Rumble 94. Of course. Uh, less people talk about um, the Survivor Series. However, I keep remembering we had our own uh, uh, show. I can't remember its name for the life of me. With Yael Dunn, and she placed children and asked who it is, who is this guy, who is this guy? And I remember her asking about Lex Luger and Yokozuna, and the kids she brought identified both immediately. So apparently, it's either towards the middle of the fanfare or somewhere prior to it. But yeah, it happened, and people know who is Yokozuna to this day in Israel. Not that it matters, but they do. I think when you talk about the, um, let's, call, let's call it the wrestling boom of uh, the Israeli wrestling scene, uh, you might say it's between 93 to the end of 94. So I'm guessing this is pretty much in the, in the mid highs of that wrestling boom in Israel. If you look I at that. I so. I remember I, a certain pal who told me I would quit watching after WrestleMania 10. <laughs> because, you know, um, Every boom, I believe, in, in every country has its lifespan. And to us, whether it's wrestling, whether it's uh, uh, pogs or, uh, you know, everything else, 
you join, you hang on to it until it ends. But here's the thing. In Israel, I call it the land of trends because there hasn't been a trend in Israel that hasn't been, that hasn't, that wasn't short-lived. Like you said, wrestling, Transformers, 80s cartoons, pogs, whatever you want to call it, whatever it is, it was always short-lived in Israel. And then about a decade later, it maybe came back with the same amount of uh, impact. Like wrestling, it came back in 2006, but mm -hmm. it wasn't to the same level of uh, impact as it was back in the 90s. But still, Israel is the land of trends. I haven't seen a trend that lasted more than two years in Israel. That, that's the way it goes. And perhaps, you know, perhaps we are not aware exactly of the uh, 2006 second arrival because we weren't exactly in school back then. So perhaps among, you know, uh, younger kids, it, it may have served as a, as a greater um, hobby than it was to us. Are you familiar with Star Trek The Next Generation and the DS9? People who are He's laughing at me right now. I'm asking yeah, because, yeah I, I am. I am because people who are um, listening to this podcast for the first time know I, I'm quite the, the old timer, even more than, than I have to be. I've, like, I've got here spread out about several and several TV shows which were in existence before I was. That's my hobby. And to your question, I'm familiar with the uh, original series. I have here The Next Generation on Blu-ray, and I should watch it sometime. I have no idea when. And so as to your question, I remember my brother, my younger brother, watching The Next Generation. And I don't know, I guess it was okay to him because I didn't show any interest in it. Why did you ask? All as right. <laughs> There's a point. Longest answer in history. There is a species, uh, species on Star Trek. It's called a Pacled, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. The Pacled are a species that have been given an advanced technology way before their time. Like you, if you gave like a computer to the Stone Age, you wouldn't know what to do with it, but then it would, it would adapt, but it would, it would work for a lesser extent. All right. It That's would work how as, I, a, as a weapon. As a weapon, it would work beautifully. It, yeah, it would better than a club. Of course. My point is that's how I feel about trends in Israel. It always feels like we we got something way ahead of our time when it comes to certain trends, and then we it's like we we understand what to do with it, but not to the full extent. That's how I feel when wrestling. It's like two years. Oh, okay, that's it. We're done with it. And and I'm like, no, there's more to the story. We need to keep watching because it's good. And they're like, no, 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 we, we just move on to the next one. That's how I feel. Yeah, I, I know what you mean, because we've had the, uh, the wrestling boom in the 60s and then in the 80s. When I discovered, like, in the uh, late 90s, what a, a tremendous boom effect wrestling had in Israel in the 80s, I was very surprised, because I, I grew up in a house where, where I heard nothing about it, and I've had no idea. We did start... On uh, reviewing Star Wars 1993, didn't we? Oh, yeah, yeah, we should, we should review the event. <laughs> All right, so the event is in Detroit, Michigan. Our commentators for the night are Vince McMahon and Bobby Heenan. Um, always a classic duel. <laughs> and then later on in the show, we see a glimpse of JR and Gorilla Monsoon way up in the stands, way up there, and they're doing Radio WWF. Like, <laughs> Jim, Ross got, Jim Ross got banished, Radio WWF, way up in the stands. After he did King of the Ring 93, because I don't know why, 
Vince McMahon just said to himself, you know what? I don't, I don't like Jim Ross. He's too good. I'm just going to put him. I'm going to banish him to Radio WWF. But to my understanding, even Ross isn't, isn't clearly aware of, of why he didn't he receive the, uh, the treatment he received here and throughout the years. Uh, that, is just, that is just bizarre to me. Yeah. All right. We're starting off the event with the first matchup. It's the million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase, taking on Razor Ramon. The story of the match. Razor, up until King of the Ring 93, was a bad guy. He was a heel. And then after King of the Ring, even a little bit before that, he started his famous feud, his infamous feud now, with the one, two, three kid. That was before. Because yeah, you, exactly. You, before got, King of the Ring. Yeah, you've got the people uh, chanting at him uh, one, one, two, two, three, three exactly. during the Razor Brit match. Yeah, exactly. A little bit before King of the Ring 93, the people were, he had a match with a guy called The Kid. And he lost in an amazing upset. The Kid won. And then from there, people start calling him the one, two, three kid, you know, because that's a good name to call a wrestler, the one, two, three kid. It's better though, than the pinfall kid. <laughs> you know, even though the name is ridiculous, it, it did catch on. It did. People were chanting one, two, three kid. That's right. Yeah. So then, of course, Ramon is uh, embarrassed by this. He starts challenging the kid for, an, for a rematch. The kid declines. And he offers money, $2,500, $5,000, $7,500, and then he offers $10,000. Right after the King of the Ring, they have their rematch, and the kid runs away with the money. And from there, Ted DiBiase and Erwin R. Scheusser, the Money Incorporated, they start heckling Razor Ramon. Ha, you lost to a kid. You're an embarrassment. You should be our butler or something. So Raymond Ramon turns face. The kid has a match with Ted DiBiase on Wrestling Challenge. I remember that match like it was yesterday. Of course, he embarrasses the kid. Ramon comes to ringside, distracts Ted DiBiase, who goes for a nonchalant pinfall. The kid reverses, and he pins Ted DiBiase, and this leads us to the match at the pay-per-view. First fact, this is, in fact, the very last match of Ted DiBiase in the WWF. After this, he went on to wrestle a couple years in Japan, maybe even less, and he came back as a manager. Well, unless we count the uh, Raw 15 Battle Royal, yeah, that, that is his last match. And you can see it on DiBiase. He's not, as much as I love him, he is not the, uh, the athlete he used to be. He, is, he wrestles in, um, shall we say, a more limited style. And that kind of affects the whole match. And my opinion on the match, which we'll uh, come to. Basically, I agree with your, with your opinion. I thought the match was okay, was decent, but mm-hmm. it wasn't the DiBiase of old. I mean, it was a good opener. DiBiase lets Ramon go over, way over. And, he does the, and Ramon does the entire shtick, his entire movesets, his entire arsenal. And in the end, Ramon wins. Yeah, you know, it's, it's an okay match. It's a passable match. But I, I thought about it before we started taping. I believe we should have switch the uh the feud around at i mean uh when it comes to the order of matches you should have placed kid versus irs as the opener it was a better match it was um people who were more capable of you know um, um shall we say um getting more good work out of each other than ramon and dibiase not that it was bad it was as we said it was okay but either combine it into a tag team match or just have the kid and irs open the show um i guess i can see your i can see there's a valid point in what you're saying i'll give you my my whole opinion when you talk about the uh, the other match later 
So Ramon wins in the first matchup. Then we go to the stands, to the ringside, actually. And we see Todd Pettingill interviews Rick and Scott's mother and sister. Now, was it really her mother, <laughs> their mother and sister? To my understanding, it was. All right, and there's, a, there's sort of a blooper here. Have you noticed? Yeah, of course. When Pettingill is talking to the mother, he asks her, hey, what did you, what did you think about the, your boys growing up, you know, wrestling in the living room and stuff? And she goes like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Just, just move on. <laughs> That's the blooper? I don't know. I don't, I don't mean this one. They refer to Scott and Rick as uh, Scott and Rob. Oh. Because uh, Robert is uh, Rick's uh, real name. <laughs> I didn't even notice. Yep. All right. uh, so to my understanding, it was their, uh, indeed, their immediate family. And... Let's get to the match because I've, I've got something I want to get off my chest about. All right, first off, the match is the Heavenly Bodies managed by James E. Cornette taking on the Steiner Brothers for the WWF Tag Team titles. Of course, Scott and Rick from Detroit, Michigan, wearing the old blue and yellow. And for, for my taste, this was a good match. But what do, you, what do you think? This was a great match. This is the, to my recollection... The only time, and, and, and uh, probably, yeah, the only time the Heavenly Bodies got a, um, got a tag team title shot. And what a waste of, of, of talent here. Heavenly Bodies could have been much, much bigger. But instead, they got relegated to feuding with the Bushwhackers. And they had a small, let me see about like late 1994 feud with the guns but you could have made such a such a larger deal out of them they were so talented they they had their double team moves they were arrogant heels they would never work as baby faces which the crowd loved to hate and i don't mean the kind of go away heat i mean the the kind of talent you know the um the old school heels, old school tag team heels could have been used so much better. I completely agree. I think the Heavenly Bodies are part of that, uh, let's call that uh, era, that era of uh, legendary tag teams. I, put them, I, could, I could put them with the Rock and Roll Express and the Midnight Express because they have that same chemistry. They were great in the ring. And I don't know if they should have won the tag titles here because of the whole crowd response but they should have won the tag team titles later on i don't know why they didn't well i'm not saying they uh, should have won right now at the moment mm -hmm. they were still brand new to the company yeah but they did get a uh, you know uh, an smw tag team title reign on the iwf pay-per-view at the next one that the yeah. following one yeah we'll talk but, about that yeah yeah we discussed it but I can't understand why wouldn't they be pushed harder. And that is the million-dollar question. Also, what is what could be a rare, a very rare occurrence that a tag team that hails that the same venue is performed at, <laughs> they actually win the match. They win their home turf match. Who would have yeah, thought? Imagine that. Yeah, yeah, imagine that. The Steiners from Detroit, Michigan, winning a match in Detroit, Michigan. <laughs> Who would have thought? All right, so that was a great tag team matchup. Afterwards, mm -hmm. we get an interview backstage with uh, the newest guy in the block. It's called Joe Fowler. Now, this guy, I'm, 
the first time I saw him, I knew exactly who he was. Because back in the day, there mm-hmm. was a show. It was like American Gladiators, but it was called Knights and Warriors. And this guy was in the front lines. He was the, he was the, 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 the head commentator for that. And then he joined WWF. And this guy does a tremendous job. I love this guy. He does a great job. He knows how to talk. He knows how to interview. Why in the hell did Vince fire him? Was he, did he quit? I, I miss that guy. I don't know. Too much talent, I reckon. Because Maybe too much talent. He, he, you know, like, like nowadays, he's, he's like a footnote in the history. But I think I've like heard his name in WWF programming like one more time. That was it. I think his last appearance was Survivor Series 93. Afterwards, he was gone from the company, I think. Too I bad. Where do you remember him in Survivor Series? I think he was in Survivor Series when he was interviewing the four fanatics, or maybe I'm mistaken. No, no, that was Pettingale. So this was his only pay-per-view. Apparently. Uh, that's a shame. All right. He's interviewing Shawn Michaels and Diesel. They're talking about the, the next matchup, which is for the Intercontinental Championship. Shawn Michaels defense against Mr. Perfect. The story of the match. Uh, Michaels and Perfect has been, have been having a heated rivalry for the past couple of months. It started back at WrestleMania 9 when after Perfect's match with Lex Luger, Shawn Michaels attacked him. Afterwards, they have a street fight right there near the beginning of Monday Night Raw. Then it leads to the rematch between Marty Jannetty and Shawn Michaels with the aid of Mr. Perfect. Michaels loses the championship. Then in the rematch of that match, Michaels regains the championship with the help of his, new, of his new bodyguard, Diesel. And this leads us to this matchup. Now, before the match, my opinion about the match, I think this match potentially could have been one of the greatest because look at these two phenomenal uh, talents. You got Mr. Perfect and you got Shawn Michaels. You could say it's the old generation passing it on to the new generation, but they're pretty much at the same time of the company. But this is Michaels' biggest singles push. So a match against Mr. Perfect, that is, a, that is a statement. What do you think? I believe that if you, if you've yet to see the match and you're just, you know, expecting the, uh, the pay-per-view itself, it is supposed to be great. Uh, however, I forgot to mention that during the street fight, they smashed Finkel's car. And apparently <laughs> he had no idea. Oh, man. He just watched this and, yeah, that's my car you're wrecking. So no, I hope Vince paid for that <laughs> for the insurance and so. for the repairs. I probably did. Look, I was disappointed by this match. It should have been better. It should have been better. I see Henning. I see Michaels, and both men are like extremely talented. You know, I I understand the fact that Henning came here post injury and uh, post surgery. With these, with his back issues, but it should have been a better match, and it also breaks the streak of every intercontinental title switch in SummerSlam, which we've had so far. And it's a countout loss, and they're building to like, they're switching the rivalry here to Perfect and Diesel, which I don't know. It's not, it's not really kind of a dream match you'd expect to see. Well, true, but it does work for the story because Diesel was the one that uh, prevented Perfect from winning the matchup. Near the end of the match, Perfect does a perfect flex. The referee counts to two. Diesel pulls him to the outside. Now, here's what 
here's here's my conundrum. Earl Hebner, once again, the most crooked referee in oh, this yeah. entire business. He sees perfect is gone. He counts to two. Someone broke up, broke the pinfall. And he then, he doesn't say anything about perfect and Diesel going at it on the outside. <laughs> and I'm like, what did you think happened? Temporary comfortable blindness. Yeah, It was right. very convenient, you know. It's, um, yeah, look, you can talk about the story, you know, till the cows come home. But I don't think we would get good matches out of it. I, I can't watch a story unfold knowing we won't have a good match. Could be just me, could be just, I don't know, but it's, it's, it's not it. I remember Michaels was in the phase of his, you know, long reverse chin locks. Yeah. I hated that phase. <laughs> Once he put that on opponent, he also put me to sleep. So I'm, guessing the whole match down. so I'm guessing you're not gonna watch any Randy Orton matches. Imagine that. <laughs> All right, I'm actually a fan of Randy Orton, but that's but that's uh, besides the point. All right, so Michaels wins wins by a countout afterwards. Uh, perfect attacks Diesel and Michaels. They, of course, it's, it's a it's a numbered game. Diesel attacks Perfect and then he knocks him out with a with a right hand. They tried to sell as the right hand as his finisher because he had like a tape gloved, so that was like a hard punch to the head. It, it hard didn't really punch work. to the head. I, I I should I should remember that hard punch to the head. <laughs> I wonder if it's better than a head punch to the heart. Exactly. But yeah, there was this point when when um, they call it the uh, the big right hand. Yeah. Was, uh, big right hand. was Diesel's finisher. Then he uh, switched to uh, the jackknife later on. Yep. All right. Afterwards, we got another interview backstage with the one, two, three kid. And bless his heart, this kid is excited because, you know, Joe Fowler also is excited. He's telling him, you know, kid, this is your first pay-per-view in front of a live audience. This is your biggest moment. How do you feel? And he's almost having a heart attack. <laughs> uh, I'm excited. Uh, I don't know what to do. Uh, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to give it everything I can because uh, something, slogan something. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, take a breather, man. Chill out. It's, it's only a match. <laughs> like I did it before. You know, you can always say that uh, it was true excitement that birthed throughout the person and into the into this character of you know um happy go lucky wrestler which yeah. just got his first pay-per-view break and yeah i am quite the fan of um shall we say early days kid early days kid okay. yeah when he was the um the uh, like the work rate monster of the company oh yeah he was the workhorse yeah yeah, he would fling around. He would leap from everywhere to anywhere. And you couldn't help but take his side because you knew he came, he, he came from, um, shall we say, a jobber status. Yeah. He had losses to doing, Mr. Hughes. Then he got the break. This was Razor. And now he's going to a pay-per-view. And let's move on. What about the match itself? Well, here's the thing. The match is the one, two, three kid versus IRS. Now, basically, there's a story to this match, but they never really talked about it except for a line by Vince that says that the kid defeated Ted DiBiase. Now he goes up against DiBiase's partner, but they didn't even, even build it up. They just announced the match. They had the match. One line from Vince, and that's it. But there's a story here because the kid beat Ted DiBiase. So IRS wants revenge for that loss, but they never... 
They never mentioned it. Not in a promo, not in an interview, no nothing. Do you happen to recall how long this match was? Um, I didn't check it on the, um, the time when I watched it, but I'm guessing around the five, maybe six minute mark. Yeah, maybe. I, I remember this way. Um, yes, yeah, so I, I believe um, the, uh, the entire storyline explanation might have been longer than the match itself, which is uh, why they didn't like um, just put it straight out and that's why they didn't explain it. However, I have nothing but good words about the match. And here's why I agree with you. And to a funny part, because we talked about we talked about Erwin Arshoyster a lot. And I think we both agreed that his work ethic is good, but he wasn't that exciting in the ring. He was a good wrestler, but sort of. he wasn't that exciting in the ring. Like his matches, you talked about the chin locks. He was the master of the chin locks. Okay. Yeah, he had a typical match style, yeah. you know, like for singles and tag teams, sort of. Because but nothing that, further. Yeah, because that makes sense. Because this gimmick is the IRS, and the IRS is boring, so he has boring matches. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I should tell the Internal Revenue Service once about the uh, their representative at the ring, and could they, by any chance, produce better? And uh, no offense to Mike Rotunda, we're a fan of the guy. We're just we're just kidding <laughs> yeah. around. We love you, Mike, in case you're watching. Yeah, we love you. We seriously love you. And then he has this matchup, and the kid carries IRS throughout the match. He does all the spots. He does them wonderfully. Mm-hmm. He's, he does his, uh, his aerial assaults, his acrobatic. He has this move when he jumps back in the ring, somersaults back in the ring, and then goes mm-hmm. for a two-count for, for, by a roll-up. That's, that spot is awesome. Yeah, so he carries him, yeah, so he carries him throughout the match. And then in the end, IRS wins with a, a clothesline shoulder, t- shoulder tackle from the inside of the ring. That was the write-off. Yeah, the, the write-off, leaping, exactly. The leaping... Uh, leaping clothesline. Was it was a clothesline. It was a yeah. leaping clothesline. It looked good. I've yeah. got nothing against it. Told you, early, early career kid, early 90s to, I don't know, up about his heel turn. Like... I just want to mention it in a sentence. Heel kid? Really? Why would I, you turn the kid the kid heel? I mean, me, really? Because I believe they they just had to have a change within the character. That is my oh. only explanation. But but you, you can't. It's not like you can't boo him. It's the fact that this is not the kind of. Right character to turn heel. Exactly. Like, yeah, yeah. Then he becomes X-Pac and he becomes, you know, the uh, the, uh, the uh, click no. guy and then the lackey. I, then I mean, then he becomes six, then X-Pac, then six-Pac, then X-Pac, six-Pac, Pac, um, all kinds of various yeah. <laughs> names for that. So, yeah. All right, so Iris wins. Move on to the next matchup. And this is, for me, one of the best matches on the card because of the story. Uh, first, we get an interview with Todd Penningill with the Hart family, Bruce and Owen sitting at ringside. And they say, they, he asks them, hey, I thought your mom and dad were supposed to be here. He says their dad had a surgery for, to, for a knee repair, if I'm not mistaken. But they're here for support, and they want Bret Hart to kick Jerry Lawler's brains in. And then we get to the matchup. Mm-hmm. Bret the Hitman Hart versus Jerry the King Lawler for the King of the Ring title. They said it. 
This was for the King of the Ring, which means if Jerry Lawler wins, whoever wins is the undisputed King of the Ring. Did they actually say title? Uh, here, here's the thing. When they started the broadcast, Vince McMahon says, we have three championships on the line. And then Bobby Heenan says, you're wrong again, Vince. There are four championships on the line. And I'm like, what? The King of the Ring is on the line, so I'm guessing it's a title. Okay, well, you know, it used to be a title. Uh, it, it, yeah. It, it had a championship status, you know, like moving on from, uh, from uh, Race to Haku to Duggan exactly. to, um, to Savage. But, you know, it, it feels like it's, a, it's another reincarnation of, of this It's a reincarnation. It's not the same as uh, before. So, the story of the match. Bret Hart wins the 1993 inaugural pay-per-view King of the Ring edition. Uh, a great pay-per-view and a great story by Bret Hart. In the end, Jerry Lawler protests because he's the king of the World Wrestling Federation. And he demands Bret Hart to give up the crown. Bret coins the term Burger King to Jerry Lawler. He attacks him and completely destroys the, <laughs> destroyed the pay-per-view for me. Uh, and then it leads to this huge, intense rivalry between Bret Hart and Jerry Lawler, where Jerry is, uh, is inciting the Hart family. He is uh, disrespecting the Hart uh, family uh, members. Bret's parents, he insults them. He insults the brothers. He beats Owen Hart in a match on Wrestling Challenge. And then we get to the pay-per-view. And you can see the entire audience, the entire audience want to see one thing, and that's Bret Hart kicking the living hell out of Jerry Lawler. Bret Hart comes in first. I agree. It's 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 a good story. It is. It is a good story. It's it's well done. It's very decent. Yeah. You got anything else, or we go into the match? No, no, no just no, I feel before, like I've interrupted you. Oh, before the match, Jerry Lawler walks out. And he has this ridiculous knee bracelet. It's it's like a it's a it's a shoulder ice pack, but it's on the knee. It's taped to the knee, and he it has yeah. crutches. And he and he limps limps down to the ring. And Todd Pennington asks him, "What the hell is going on? What is this king?" And he tells him, "If you shut up, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what happened." So he makes an excuse about him having a car accident in Detroit because of the car that was built in Detroit. Huge heat from the crowd. Yeah. And he says, I can't wrestle tonight because all I do was uh, I want to beat the hell out of you. And they, there are three officials in the ring trying to stop Bret Hart from beating the living hell out of Jerry Lawler. But then he says, even though I can't wrestle, I talk to people backstage and all of them want a piece of you. So now I'm going to bring one out. And it's my, my court-appointed clown jester, Doink the Clown. And first off, this is a brilliant, <laughs> a brilliant choice. Picking the clown as a clown jester to the king's court. I thought, it, I, was, I thought it was a good choice, first off. I seem to remember a certain king's court in which Lawler, nicknamed Doink, who was the, 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 uh, the guy he interviewed, as the uh, court jester. I think so. Even though I, I, I'm, I'm quite sure it happened before, but I am not that certain. I think it did. But I yeah. Feel- yeah, I think out comes uh, Doink, and, um, and apparently he is now Brett's opponent. Exactly. So he's Brett's opponent, and he has two buckets. So he walks down the ringside. Bruce, Bruce and Owen Hart sit in there. He throws one bucket into the crowd, and it's full of confetti. And the other bucket is full of water. And mm-hmm. he hits Bruce Hart directly <laughs> with that bucket. He is poured with water. He's pouring water. 
and Bruce is incest. He's, he's he's mad. He is completely mad because I am pretty sure no one told him he's gonna get a bucket of water all poured all over him. There's a story here. Tell us, tell the us the story. Is, the thing is, Owen apparently talked to Matt Bourne backstage and said to him, "If you're gonna uh, gonna do something to me with your buckets, I will prank you till death." <laughs> so Matt Bourne, knowing Owen's nature, did nothing about it. However, as you stated, Bruce had no idea he was getting this uh, waterfall treatment. And that is what, what you see here is his genuine reaction. Yeah, he almost, he almost beat the hell out of a couple of officials trying to stop him from getting in the ring. That's right. So then we have the matchup. It's Bret Hart versus Doink. A good match. Yeah. Got nothing bad to say about the matchup. And then in the end of the match, when Bret has Doink in the sharpshooter, haha, swerve. Jerry Lawler is not hurt. He's not injured. Walks into the ring and hits Bret Hart with the crutch. The crutch broke. The crutch breaks. Mm -hmm. And you see Bret Hart. Wow. It's like it's a real crutch. And it and it breaks on Bret. And I'm and I'm like, you almost broke his neck. What the hell's wrong with you? I should say I thought about it and it's like first of all it's heel doing's only second pay-per-view match second and yeah. last yeah I you know knowing 1993 the way we did I could have sworn he did much more because he was so present and on hand but no and it's it's uh, it's only second second and last match and it's like a Win-loss record of one and one in 1993. But yeah, they've had a decent match. And I can't remember, was it a DQ finish or was it a submission finish? No, it was a DQ because before Doink was able to tap out, then Jerry Lawler hits him with a crutch. Apparently because we've got to protect Doink? <laughs> Probably, I don't know. Because I, I also remember the finish was he was tapping out, the referee single for the bell, and then Jerry attacks him. That's but right. no, it was a DQ. So afterwards, Jerry keeps attacking Bret Hart with the crutch. Now, here's a stupid part. Because while Jerry is doing that, the Hart brothers trying to get into the ring, and every official in the WWF that time tries to stop them. But they're not stopping Jerry Lawler from attacking Bret. Here we go again, looking for logic in the amazing world of wrestling. Amazing. So Jerry Lawler leaves the ring and helps. He helps Doink back to the backstage. <clears throat> and the officials uh, trying to restrain Bret Hart and his brothers from ripping Jerry Lawler apart when Jack Tunney walks out. He goes to Jerry Lawler and he starts yelling at him, you're not injured. You have to get in that ring. You have to wrestle Bret Hart. And Jerry's like, no, no, don't do this. Don't do this. He walks to Finkel and then the announcement is made that if Jerry Lawler doesn't wrestle Bret Hart right now, he'll be banned for life. Wow. <laughs> that, 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 is a, that is quite the punishment. Well, yeah, but you know, me being not the greatest uh, Jerry Lawler fan, I, I, I wouldn't mind if, really, if, 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 if he just, if, we, if he was just banned. Fine by me. Don't give me Bret versus Lawler, but get him banned. All right. So we go back to the ring. Bret Hart finally catches up to Lawler. They have a match in the ring. Another good match. Uh, I wrote myself, I wrote to myself in my notes Lawler cheats all the time. There's no referee in sight because he's on the outside. Still fighting with the Hart brothers, 
There's a match going on. Why the hell are you? There's a lot of hard brothers. <clears throat> By the way, would you say, I thought about it as well, would you say it's uh, the phase of Lawler becoming um, the comedy king, or is it a stage in which he shows some seriousness still? No, 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 no. He, during that time, he was a major heel. He wasn't a comedy act, in my opinion. I think the comedy came while he was like the main K commentator through like 95 and upwards. No, even after 95, when he became like a, uh, a permanent commentator, that's when the comedy starts. I'm aware of that. But the thing is, I thought to myself, how would he um, function during the match? And keeping in mind the, you know, this uh, ridiculous story of what caused his injury, that's what made me think about like, is he doing comedy? Is this considered comedy yet? Is, is, is he comedic outside ring and serious inside? I don't know. That kind of bothered me. These are the things which bother me, folks. When I, I've got nothing else to do. Was Lauder a, a comedic heel or not? For me, it's logic in wrestling and consistency in wrestling. So Yeah, I've, I've kind of noticed. Yeah, we're not that far apart. So anyways, Bret Hart does his triumphant comeback, and he beats up Jerry Lawler. He finally puts him in the sharpshooter, and the referee singles for the bell. Bret Hart wins. The crowd is blowing up. He's, ecsa he's ecstatic. But then Bret Hart doesn't let go of the hold. The referee signals, okay, you're done. You won the match. He doesn't let go. Then he tries to, to like, break the, break the hold from Bret Hart. He doesn't let go. Another official, another official, another representative, another producer from backstage. We see Pat Patterson. We see one of the uh, Blackjacks. I think it was Lanza. Uh, we see, like, a lot of people out there trying to stop Bret Hart from breaking Jerry Lawler's back and legs. Then it comes to the point where the Hart brothers are asked to come into the ring to persuade their brother to release the hold. Bruce is like, I don't care. <laughs> I, don't, I don't care. Let him, let him break. Let him, let him rock. Yeah. And then they, probably, said, they probably even offered him a raise. <laughs> I know, gave him present. Just let go of Lawler. They offered I Bruce. It, they offered Bruce Hart a raise while he was not even working for the company. <laughs> so then Owen Hart, the calmer of, uh, of uh, both head, of all mm -hmm. the heated heads, walks to Brad. Says, "Okay, let go." Bret Hart, let's go. The crowd is fanatic. He's excited. He's happy. And then the referee Bill Alfonso reverses the decision. And Jerry Lawler is announced as the undisputed king of the World Wrestling Federation. What a bummer. Which, which he claimed he was even prior to the match. Yeah. Um, there's also a story here. Because uh, Brett's actions were what you call a receipt. Because he was convinced, uh, apparently, and he felt uh, this way, that Lawler was very, very intense during the um, uh, post-King of the Ring victory, during the beatdown, where he smashed the chair on him and used the scepter and all that. And Brett said, your day will come. And that is also your answer as to why... No, I don't mean why. I mean, how come you can sit on a person during a sharpshooter for so long and it won't hurt. The, the, the answer is, it hurts. It hurt Lawler a whole lot. And that was Brett's payback. I, I think it's a great payback and a great reward for Brett for suffering that 
that uh, humiliating uh, punishment back in King of the Ring. I thought he, I thought he got Jerry Lauder got what was coming to him, and it was a good ending to the matchup. Even though Bret Hart lost by DQ afterwards, once again the entire Hart family starts attacking Jerry Lawler. It started with Bruce going off the script when he jumped Lawler while mm. like a couple of officials trying to stop him, and then when Owen realizes that he needs to do something, he can't just stand there. He takes it like a leap of faith, lands on Lawler, and that's it. Because it, I saw it in his eyes. He, he thought to himself, well, if Brett's beating him up, and if Bruce beating him, it's beating him up, fine, I'll beat him up as well. I, I might as well join. Yeah, I'm, not exactly. doing, I'm not doing anything here. Yeah. Anyhow, uh, by the way, he did do something. Didn't he uh, had, a, uh, had a dark match? Who, Owen? Yeah. I remember a dark match at the uh, King of the Ring where he lost. No, no, that, I, uh, I, I, don't, I don't mean the, uh, the, the USWA Papa Shango belt. I think. I think you're correct. Really I just don't remember against who. I think it was Horowitz. Let's find out. I am quite sure. But it just blurted. I just blurted it out, but it seems to me. You're right. Owen Hart defeated Barry Horowitz in the dark match. Okay, so there was a reason for him to be there aside from supporting Brett in the crowd. So he got a paycheck. So Yeah. So afterwards, standing ovation for Bret Hart. And when I looked at that crowd and I looked at that ovation that Bret Hart got, it only, it stings a little bit that he didn't get the match against Hogan. For some reason, it, it, uh, I, I don't feel this way because I feel... Had Brett gotten the match against Hogan, it was to be very Hogan style. I still don't see face versus face in 1993 this WWF, and I don't see um, I don't see a good match coming out of it. And Hart Hogan, very conflicting styles. We've had it for a brief moment in WCW. And yeah, but it wasn't the same so. story, man. It yeah, wasn't I know, I know it wasn't the same. But still, I'm I'm glad we didn't get Breakfast Hogan. All right. So afterwards, we get a promo package from from Ludwig Borga, for some reason, where he walks near a demolished building and says, "This is America. This is how America is because it's broken like this building." And Lex Luger, I will break you too. So basically, they're doing Ivan Drago versus Rocky, except he's from Finland, yeah. not from Russia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you're you're right on that. He also got the um, uh, you know uh, the environmental message. Of, uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So environmentalists everywhere should be pleased. Afterwards, he has a match against Marty Janetti, and that was it. I, I don't even have a lot to say about the match because the match was pretty much, hey, look at Ludwig Borga, he does stuff. Hey, look, there's Janetti. I remember him, and then Ludwig well, Borga it's... demolishes Janetti. I am referring to it as the um, entertaining squash, one-sided belt. And I keep being amazed at Janetti's outfit. It's like he's being backstage using scissors for, with, uh, with, um, with Randy Savage for, for paper clippings. Let's stick it all on our outfits. Uh, I like this outfit. But it was very colorful. Yeah, it was. It was. It was also very weird. No, because Randy Savage's outfits were not weird. Yeah, Randy Savage is totally sane. All right. Afterwards, uh, we get uh, the rest in peace match between The Undertaker and the Giant Gonzalez. 
Oh, Basically, boy. it's a no-holds-barred match. Only yeah. pinfalls and submissions. And now, the story of the matchup, they had a match back at Royal Rumble 93. John Gonzalez makes his triumphant debut uh, against The Undertaker, eliminating him from the Royal Rumble match. While not being a participant. Without being a participant. and actually, Apparently, that counts. Afterwards, they have a match at WrestleMania 9, which Undertaker wins by disqualification, when uh, the Giant Gonzalez uses chloroform to uh, basically, uh, what, uh, put the Undertaker to sleep? Smother him. Smother uh, him. Yeah. Apparently, uh, he just doesn't know how Undertaker works. So, yeah, Undertaker comes <laughs> back later on. That and... is... That is probably one of the greatest lines ever. He doesn't know how the, how the Undertaker works. He doesn't have any batteries. He doesn't drive mm-hmm. off of electricity. He doesn't know how the Undertaker works. So No manual, no nothing. No nothing. It so, was a terrible match. Terrible match. After that, they have this scuffle on an episode of Superstars, if I'm not mistaken, where Mr. Hughes, an accomplice of the Giant Gonzalez and Harvey Whippleman, attacks the Undertaker with the urn, steals the urn, and Paul Bearer is taken out of action. And from there, Harvey Whippleman holds on to the urn. Somewhere along the road, Taker defeats Mr. Hughes, if I'm not mistaken, because I think the match happened before SummerSlam. And uh, if I'm not mistaken. I think so. I think so. Should have happened right here in Israel. But Should instead, we got Adam Bomb. At least there was a casket match. Yeah, that's right. And then the match is set. Taker versus Gonzalez at SummerSlam. Now, before you say your opinion, I would like to say mine because I know we'll have a contrast of opinions. I liked the match. I thought this match was a it was a redemption for that catastrophe at WrestleMania Nine. I thought the match told a good story overall, and there was a story because the story was that the Undertaker was weakened because of the absence of Paul Bear. And because Harvey Wobbleman hold on to the urn. So you see Gonzalez, of course, dominating the most of the match. And for, for, what it's, for what it's worth, it was told good. It was told really well, in my opinion. Then later on in the matchup, Paul Bear reemerges, attacks Harvey Wobbleman, crowd is ecstatic, grabs the urn again, Taker rises up and finishes the match, finishes the match with a clothesline off the top rope. So for that story, I thought it was done really well. Your opinion. While somehow it kind of makes sense, as uh, as you've described, to me it's not. It's it is better than the uh, WrestleMania bout. However, it's like saying the WrestleMania bout was very bad. This one was just bad. Look, I feel for Gonzalez, as as his uh, state. You know, he was probably very uncomfortable. But he is quite the uh, quite the bad wrestler, and when you can't work with him, and almost every match in which he has to lose has to be by disqualification, that's not a solution. However, I should tell you that Harvey Wimpleman states in his book, and he says, um, "Gonzalez gave me the choke slam. I was like briefly knocked out." And then people started telling me, I don't know, in, in, uh, in his uh, ear microphone, earpiece. Harvey, his earpiece, thank you. And, he, and people started telling me, Harvey, clear the ring. We have just got another, we, we, we've got the more matches ahead, more <laughs> matches ahead. We can't have you lie in the ring there. So yeah, after the matchup, uh, Giant Gonzalez does a face turn. 
it's supposed to lead to something. I saw, I remember distinctly an interview with Harvey Whipple on Wrestling Challenge. Mm-hmm. The Gonzalez uh, confronts him, and that was it. Uh, no, it wasn't exactly. Oh yeah, it was. It was face off. It was a face off of Adam Bomb. That's right. Yeah, exactly. That was all. All right, but it didn't lead to anything. Gonzalez leaves the company, and Harvey Whipple now becomes the manager of Adam Bomb and Quay. There was a rumor of placing Hogan versus Gonzalez at a certain time. I heard about and, that. Yeah, and I'm glad we didn't get to see it. I'm glad as well. All right. Uh, the next matchup, I'm, I'm going to call this Cowboys and Indians because you had the team of Tatanka and the Smoking Guns taking on the team of the Head Shrinkers and Bam Bam Bigelow. So that's the- Cowboys, Cowboys and Indians. On one side. Yeah, and uh, and savages, head shrinkers, savages, and uh, savages, and 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 a pyromaniac. <laughs> pyromaniac, all right. So uh, yeah, I found it to be, uh, you know, it's it was entertaining. It was okay. Yeah. You know, it's it's kind of a kind of a cool off match. Yeah, and it is actually a rematch. Yeah, because they had I, especially checked just so you can say I'm not just slouching around here and doing nothing. They've had a bout at the, uh, I believe, July 11 Superstars or Wrestling Challenge, was it? Wrestling Challenge. In which, in which the heels won. Yeah, yeah. There's like more to the story because uh, Bam Bam Bigelow and Tatanga had a feud going on for a couple mm-hmm. of months. Um, the Guns and the Head Shrinkers didn't really have a feud, but, you know, they're tag team, so kind of works. They so, had a house show feud, if you yeah. can say. We, we've had a match here in Israel, Smoking Guns versus Head Shrinkers. Yeah. At the same tour of uh, Taker versus Adam Bomb. Yeah. And cool. they had the match at the Wrestling Challenge with the heels winning, and now they have the rematch. And like you said, it was it's, it was pretty much a cool-off match, but it was a good match. Yeah. Good work by all work. Good, good job by all workers. Once again, Bam Bam Bigelow proves why he's one of the best big men ever in professional wrestling. And I wrote to myself, I loved the ending spot. Where Tatanka's on the ground, all the heels and Bam Bam climbs off the top roll for each one of their corners, and they're trying to <laughs> trying to headbutt him or squash him at the same time. It's an awesome spot. Yeah, loved and it. Then, and then afterwards, a roll up by Tatanka, and he wins. Yeah, you know, even when a, when a Samoan meets the mattress head first, yeah, that that has to hurt, and probably not to the ring. Yeah, and that was probably one of the greatest. Last achievements of the Tonka throughout his career in WWE. Uh, yeah, probably. Unfortunately. All right. We get to the biggest moment of this entire pay-per-view, this entire broadcast. It is the interview with the bus driver, <laughs> Hank Carter of the Lex Express. Wait, what a way to build up the main event. We have an I interview. Am certain, I'm, I'm certain of the fact that people ordered this pay-per-view to see the driver getting an interview. Uh, that's amazing. I mean, really? The bus driver? No offense to the bus driver, but really? The bus driver? Yeah. Well, that's weird. All right. We, again, we then go to our main event for the WWF Championship, Yokozuna versus the man made in the USA now, Lex Luger. The story mm-hmm. of the match. <clears throat> After the King of the Ring, Yokozuna held a challenge, a body slam challenge on top of a the USS tra- Intrepid, 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 Intrepid. Intrepid. Uh, which is a is it a battleship, a sub, a battleship, 
I think it is a battleship. Right. This or a carrier, I can't remember. Have, you'll have to excuse our ignorance in this because we don't have really have those kind of battleships in Israel. So let's say it's a battleship. So they held. We're lucky a... to have ships at all. <laughs> we're lucky to have a land during these times. So yeah, um, so he held, he holds he holds a body slam challenge. Whoever can body slam Yokozuna gets a shot at the championship, or does he win the championship? No, it's not a championship belt. So he just, I, I don't think there was there was even a contendership on hand here. It wasn't like a prize or something. He just nobody can slam no, him. That's you, it. You just I don't know. You you get uh, you get pushed to the main event. I don't know. I don't know. So it's an open challenge, and we get basketball players and NFL players. And you other wrestlers. Bill Freilich. Bill Freilich from Bill WrestleMania, Freilich from WrestleMania 2. I'm sorry, this isn't WrestleMania 2. Who <laughs> invited you? Bill and Freilich. Among the wrestlers, among the wrestlers, you've got Randy Savage, Crush, my favorite, Bob Beckland. And who else? Rick Steiner. Not yeah, both think... Steiners. Only one of them tried to slam Yokozuna. I didn't, and, yeah. and I heard something about this. I, I heard that this was a rule. Only one of them can challenge Yokozuna for that body slam. I think so. I think I don't the know why. Well, I, I don't know why. I have no idea. I wasn't on hand. But that, that was just weird. So, and then came to the point like nobody can slam Yokozuna. And then a helicopter descends from the, from the heavens. It lands down and it's Lex Luger. Mm -hmm. Now, Luger, up until that point, was a massive heel known as the narcissist Lex Luger. He walks to the ring wearing an American shirt uh, or a flag shirt, an American flag shirt. Bobby Heenan tries to stop him, stop him, and he pushes him aside. That's he walks right. into that the ring. accomplished his face turn. Yeah. Because Heenan that. was there for him at the, at the uh, Royal Rumble. Yeah. And now Heenan gets shoved away. We may have a change here. You had a little bit of an Edith Shaxon over there. He went into the Royal Rumble, and then you had to push Heenan away. Anyway, so he walks into the ring. I've got Russian roots. I'm sorry. No, that's sorry. Okay. I also have so Russian roots. That's okay. It kind of bursts out there. <laughs> Back in Chernobyl, I was a surgeon. Now I do Russian politics. So anyway, he walks in the ring. He does a promo saying, um, you want to talk about America? You're saying America is uh, something's wrong with America. There's nothing wrong with America. What's wrong with America are people like you. So I'm going to slam you. So he takes off his shirt. Yoko tries to run him over. He, he sidesteps and he slams him. The Wait, crowd, nailed the elbow. Nailed the elbow, of course, of course. The, the, the forearm. The, the forearm, of course, he nailed the forearm and he slams Yokozuna. Now, when I say slam, it's not really a slam. It's like Yokozuna walks directly into Lex Luger's arms and he just lifts him up a little bit and just slams him. It's not really a real slam. Yeah, it's not like, yeah, it, it's it, not like it, Andre the Giant slam. No, no, it, it, it resembles a hip toss. Yeah, exactly. But it's still, it's still a very impressive look yeah. for a hip toss. Yeah. So afterwards, Lex Luger petitions for a match against Yokozuna. And they talk about it, and they do promos, and now they enter James E. Cornette, who is now the American spokesperson for Yokozuna because he's very good at his job. And they reach an agreement. Luger will get a shot at Yokozuna at SummerSlam, but one shot only. They build this up. This is the only opportunity Lex Luger is going to get at the WWF Championship as long as Yokozuna is the champion. They sign a contract. Luger is wearing a suit to the, to the contract signing. He is sweating bullets. He is sweating like it's 98 degrees. Why is he wearing a suit in a building with no air conditioning? <laughs> well, Yokozuna wears that kimono, so it's no fair, no fair for Luger. 
and we get to the match. Before the matchup, Howard Finkel talks to the audience and says, if you could please show some respect. These were, these were his words. If you could please show some respect to the Japanese anthem uh, song by this, uh, this uh, person. I don't remember his name, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> what, what a way to disrespect the crowd. Could you please show some respect? Howard Finkel with his biggest heel turn. Yeah, that would get you the opposite reaction yeah. from the crowd. And yeah. he got exactly the opposite. Maybe it was intentional. Because the crowd was I suspect going, so. Yeah. But then we get Macho Man Randy Savage. You see, after WrestleMania 10, Savage wasn't allowed to wrestle because Vince wanted him as a commentator. So he does commentating. He does ringside uh, interviews. And now he uh, walks to the ring accompanying a, a singer named Aaron Neville. And he sings the national anthem. And it's Aaron Neville. Now, the national anthem, if you sing it word for word, I'm guessing it's around uh, maybe a minute. Maybe sort of. Aaron Neville sings it for about five minutes. He stretched it. He stretched it. I'm, 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 not, I'm not saying I'm not an Aaron Neville fan, but I, I don't want to hear Aaron Neville singing the National Anthem ever again. Well, All right. You know. Yokozuna comes in. He's the first guy in. He's the champion. He's the first guy in. And then Lex Luger comes out. With Old Glory, I think. Da, 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 da. I don't remember the yeah. name of the song, but yeah. you know, it's a famous song. And the crowd's ecstatic, and Vince is selling him like he's the next big thing. This is the American made Lex Slugger. Look at the patriotism. Look at the, the star spangled banner. Look at the look at the star, the star. He's fighting for America. And then we have the match. Gordon? Yeah. What did you think about the match? Luger and Yokozuna don't mix. Nope. However, uh, what works for those two is the fact this is only the first time they collide. <laughs> Because, you know, Yokozuna in long matches didn't really supply and he would only, you know, weight-wise get bigger. And Luger isn't really the, um, shall we say, the carrying type wrestler. He's not exactly Ric Flair. I mean, they both got uh, a set of eyes, nose, mouth, everything, but he is not Ric Flair. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And this match is very... I'm trying to think of a kind word. It, it, it was there. It was there and, yeah. However... We are probably going to mention the ending. Of course, of course. First off, the matchup, like Gordon said, was there. I mean, it was, I could say it was okay. The only spots for Luger were attacking Yokozuna at the beginning, and then he tries to slam Yokozuna, and he fails, and that leads to a Yokozuna dominance. Then they have a double clothing spot, Yokozuna dominance. I think Luger tries again to slam him. He fails again. Yokozuna dominance. And then in the ending, Luger gets the comeback. He slams Yokozuna and he hits the forearm and sends Yokozuna crashing down to the outside. The referee stops the count. The crowd, is, by the way, is go- the crowd goes ballistic. The crowd is all over Luger. He's, beyond, he's behind mm-hmm. Luger. He's, he, Luger is over. He knocks him to the outside. Fuji tries to interfere. He, he attacks him on the ring apron. James Cornette tries to interfere. He attacks him on the ring apron. The referee counts. It's a 10 count. 
Luger wins by a countout. And here we enter Bizarro World. Because, mm-hmm. <laughs> because if you look at the broadcast, the way Vince presents it, the way Bobby Heenan presents it, the way the crowd goes insane, the referee, the wrestlers coming out of the locker room, the Steiners, Tatanka, and Randy Savage hoisting up Lex Luger on their shoulders, celebrating like Luger won the title. But here's the thing. Luger didn't win the championship because the title cannot change hands on a countout. But Vince goes, he did it. He beat Yokozuna. He won it for America. He did it. He did it. And the crowd again goes ballistic. And then Bobby Heenan screams, what happens now? And and he's acting like Yokozuna lost the championship. But people, he didn't lose the championship. Even in the interview afterwards, backstage, Luger says, I gave 110%. I did everything I could. I was glad and happy to win this for America. And I'm like, what the hell's going on? He didn't win the championship. I love how everyone suddenly got stupider. <laughs> no wrestling experience present. Is it a celebration for Luger? Um, for the fact Luger remained alive because he didn't lose. Um, why are the Steiners and Tatanka and Savage cooperating with it? I don't know. I swear, I just don't know. Like, I remember from the stories that maybe, if I'm not mistaken, maybe I'm mixing it up, but I remember... Like, one approach could be that they were building towards the WrestleMania rematch. Hmm. Maybe. The second was that during this whole experiment, Vince wasn't sure that Luger was the guy because he wasn't selling as much as Hogan was selling, as opposed to merchandise and pay-per-view and stuff. So maybe he thought he should hold off on the whole title change. Maybe. I seem to remember, perhaps it was uh, Bruce Pritchard talking about it, that they've had the approach of, we could always give him the, uh, uh, the title um, somewhere along the road in the future. Now, this is Luger's WWF peak. Why wouldn't you place the belt on him there? And, and if you didn't, why would you have this stupid finish I don't know. If, if, okay, let's take the first approach. If the point was to say Luger almost won the title only to build it up towards WrestleMania, then I wouldn't do a count on finish. You had Ludwig Borga doing promos on Luger for like a month. Yeah. Okay? So why not have Borga interfere in the match, attack Luger, cause the DQ? and then build up Luger, Luger, Luger against Borga towards Survivor Series because that actually happened. And then Luger goes back to Yokozuna and build it up through the Royal Rumble and WrestleMania. It could work. The question is, wait, um, if it's a DQ finish, do we have the celebrations at the end or don't we? No. No? I mean, you could have a celebration, but not like, like, like in the same extent as this celebration, because this celebration is stupid. 
I can only imagine the celebrations Luger planned had he won the title. Because if this is for the countout, <laughs> he would have a freaking parade <laughs> if yeah. he would have won the championship, would, man. We would see a party lasting to this very day. Yeah, man. This, this ending was so bizarre. Probably one of the most bizarre endings ever to a WWF paper ever. It was. Wow. All right, so that was SummerSlam 93. And as always, we give it a score between 1 till 10, and there's even a zero if the show was a complete catastrophe. So, Gordon, what is your score for SummerSlam 93? Look, aside from the main event and the fact that I'm not a Jerry Lawler fan, everything in it was, you know, like uh, good to very good. So I'd settle on a, you know what? I'm feeling generous today. I'll say seven. Wow. You know what? I'm going to match it and top it a little bit. I'm going to give it a seven and a half out of 10. I thought this pay-per-view was a solid pay-per-view with overall good matches. I don't, I don't think there was a bad match on the card, like a really bad match uh, per se. Um, and maybe like the down, like the downers on this event were, the, the weirdest winning, winning celebration ever. And maybe the perfect uh, Shawn Michaels match. Like, besides those two, the rest were pretty decent. As I've said. Yeah. I'll throw in Ludwig Borg against Janetti because that thing was more. <laughs> yeah, well, besides that, I think it was a solid pay-per-view. One of the very best that uh, that era had to offer. And we're looking forward to reviewing the next pay-per-view, Survivor Series 93. Yeah, that, that's actually, um, you know, it's, it's sort of, um, we're kind of, um, how should I say this? Um, doing a second job on this pay-per-view yeah. because we've already had a Hebrew version. Yeah. And now the English version, we should still take notes here and see if our opinions on the English version match the Hebrew version. Exactly. So we hope you enjoyed this podcast of Clothesline Retro. And if you did, please follow us on Podbean and Spotify. And if you're watching us on YouTube, don't forget to hit a like and subscribe and hit that bell notification button to see when we're uploading these uh, brand new videos and the reviews just for you. And thank you for listening. Thank you for watching if you're on YouTube. And we'll see you next time on another Clothesline Retro Review. Thank you, folks.